Welcome to the Global Discussion, discussions with creatives, leaders and thinkers. My name is Simon Hodgkins. Delighted to be joined today by Tanja Coleman. Tanja, you're very welcome to the podcast. Let's begin by asking you to introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about your journey, your background, your organization and all the great things you're involved in. So over to you. Hi, nice to be here. Very excited. My name is Tanja Coleman. I have my PhD in organization development and organization behavior. And uh, most recently, I published my book, which is called Three Second World, The Essentials for Engineering Your Future, because I'm all about looking in the future view, not looking behind, but looking forward. So that's the latest that I have going on. In terms of other initiatives that I have going on, I'm also the diversity lead for a large healthcare system and also the president of Reimagine Organization Development Inc. And I also coach women through my Executive Women of Command uh, Coaching Center. That's a lot going on already. Um, so let, let's talk about the book first because you brought that up first and it is a, it looks wonderful how long did it take you to put it together um what's it about let's let's unpack it a little bit for our worldwide audience absolutely so the genesis of the book really came from people asking me all the time like how do you manage to get so much done how do you do so much and I really started to try to articulate that to individuals on a one-on-one -on -one basis and I realized it was taking a lot of time so I thought maybe I could encapsulate all of my ideas in one piece of work that I could turn over to people and they could use as a blueprint if they want to replicate something similar or they're having a challenge in their career and et cetera. Also, some of what I include in the book is from my years of coaching women, both um, indirectly and directly, because I think we all mentor and coach folks throughout our journeys. And really just being able to share knowledge, share what's worked for me, um, I think is really important for all of us to be able to share information in terms of what's helped us be successful, what's helped us reach our career and personal plateaus. And then that allows individuals to really cherry pick what might work for them. All of what you put forth might not work, but pieces might work to help them uh, really reach their full potential. Now, I know you worked a little bit with Karen Weaver. And Karen's been a guest on this show. She's no stranger to the world of book publishing herself. Um, she has a, a great organization and you did a bit of a cover reveal a few months ago, didn't you? With yes, a I did. very swish looking cover on the book. So um, what did you find about the whole process of writing the book? How did it, how did it feel? How, did you like it? Is it something you're going to do again? I love writing. Uh, most of my writing, though, tends to be a little bit more on the academic side. So it's meant to put you to sleep at night. Um, <laughs> so this is really stepping a little bit out of my comfort zone with writing something that's not as data statistically focused and research uh, academia focused. So I, this was a real um, kind of pet project of mine. So I started really writing this book during COVID. Um, because what I realized during COVID is once we all sort of had to freeze 
right? We were all kind of frozen in time. Like, what is going to happen? Can we leave our house? Can we not leave our house? What's going on here? Uh, it really gave me an opportunity to really reflect on all the things that I do. So individuals who were asking me, how do you do all these things? And I was trying to tell them and I tell them and I talk and talk and the elevator talk went to like the 56th floor. Um, I really was able to sit down and synthesize how I'm doing things. What's the blueprint? What's the framework? So I really started writing this book during COVID. So I wrote the book for about a year during COVID. And then I just put it on the shelf. And I said, well, it's a lot of books out there, right? Like, who needs another book in the world? There's a lot of books out there. Everyone has an opinion. Um, I'm, sure, I'm sure there's not another opinion that folks need to hear. And then um, I, my friend said, you really do need to tell your story. You should share your story. So a lot of people in my circle, my, my loved ones, my mom, my friends, really inspired me to kind of dust it off and uh, figure out what I was going to do with it. And I was introduced uh, to Karen through Ron Mahaltra. And he said, I have the perfect person for you. And of course I had to give Karen my spiel, my pitch, send her a couple chapters to see, is this something she wants to be aligned with, right? Is it the quality that she would expect an author to write at? And is it something she wants to stand behind and represent and publish? And she said, I love it. I love it. I love that you're talking about women, women empowerment, leadership, where men, where there's the intersection of um, gender, where men can sponsor allyship for women and vice versa, and how we all just help one another be successful. And so I just continued to refine the book from there. And my objective though, as you can see, I'm very time specific. So my podcast is a five minute or less podcast. The world we live in is a three second world because more often than not, people make decisions about you in a few seconds. They decide if they like you, if they don't like you, if they think you are high energy, if you are a high performer, they make all these iterations about you and thoughts about you in a few seconds. So you have the, the notion of you have one time to make a good impression really does carry some weight. And so um, I really thought about making this book not a... a it's not meant to be an encyclopedia. It's meant to be digestible. So my objective was to keep it under 200 pages. That was the objective. Under 200 pages. So people would want to read, digest, and then be able to implement. You can't implement if you're just marred down and trying to read a four or $500, a four or 500 page book. It's just a lot to digest. Well, that's wonderful. It sounds like a great adventure. <laughs> And uh, working with Karen, of course, you're in great hands with her Royal Connections and her Duchess Serenity Press. Uh, she's got quite a lot going on in the world of, of books and publishing. Um, so congratulations. It's great to see the book Thank out you. there. You touched on academia as well, though, maybe a different type of writing and teaching. Tell us a little bit about your involvement there, because you you do quite a bit in this area. Yes. Yeah, so one, uh, I was at a crossroads in my career, and, and this is where it's really important to know who you are and have a vision for where you want to go. And so as much as everyone was pushing me towards going to law school, because I worked in human resources, I did a lot on the employee, employee relations side, and I worked constantly with employment lawyers and attorneys and counsel, and I never lost a case that I was representing for my company with, my, with the uh, legal team that we had. I'd take copious notes 
adults, I pay attention, but more often than not, I treat people like human beings. I think that's the catalyst for why the genesis for why a lot of lawsuits happen. People feel disrespected, disenfranchised, and feel as if folks don't see who they really are. And I've always made people feel comfortable in my space. And as much as all the other leaders could be named in a in a lawsuit, I miraculously, I, I was always unscathed in that, but a lot of it had to do with how I treat people. And so everyone was saying, you're great at this. This is what you should do. Go to law school. But it was something in my, in my gut instinct that was saying, don't do that. Like that's not probably where you want to be. And so as I took some time to reflect, I really saw the, looked at the world through a different lens. I said, do I want to be on the, in the world of reacting to things that have happened, or do I want to be in the space of trying to prevent these things from happening? And I really see organization development and behavior and organization psychology as a means to subvert some of the reasons that I had to defend these lawsuits, right? team engagement, how people are treated, diversity, equity, and inclusion, um, parity, all these things that really, these are the reasons that people tend to not be aligned with an organization and tend to sue, we can prevent. So I want to be on the, on the side of prevention and on the side of how can I help companies before they get into these sticky legal situations and quite costly and embarrassing from a public relations perspective. And so I decided I would get my PhD in organization development and behavior to help organizations really set them up for success, set their teams up for success, and also be better stewards in their communities. That's wonderful. And uh, just coming to your sort of career, I suppose, um, there was one title that stuck out for me, and that was you were the, you've obviously been a chief human resources officer. Yes. But you also sort of tagged that with the chief possibility officer, which I really liked. I thought that was a wonderful title. And I know that you've worked just for our just for our audience listening. I know that you've worked in very senior levels, uh, both at C-suite level, but also with you know organizations, whether it's Microsoft or Whirlpool or Starbucks or Motorola or Sears. There's a host of organizations where you've sort of developed this understanding, this career, this expertise that you now bring to both individuals and organizations through the work that you're doing. So maybe could you just tell us a little bit about, about that? Because you, you've worked at some wonderful places. You've worked in very senior roles, you know, in sort of senior director roles, HR uh, type, human resources type uh, positions. Uh, how did you get into that type of, uh, you know, work in the first place? What, what made you sort of go that direction? And what was it like working for all these different organizations? Because you must have built up a wealth of knowledge and experience along the way. Yes, it, it was it was interesting. And I, you know, talk in the book about having your goals, your vision, your outcomes, um, and really setting your strategy for that. But sometimes you just have to kind of go with the flow of when things happen. So my initial entryway into university was as a pre-med student. So I was literally going, I wanted to pursue becoming a physician. And I went to an interview with a friend, uh, flight attendant interview and became a flight attendant. And I knew in my, in my younger years, I thought that I would go to every single place in the world that I wanted to visit within that year, because we have flight benefits within that year. And then I would be done with being a flight attendant. I would go back to school, et cetera. 
Well, that position ended up lasting five years because once I got in, I loved it so much. It was so much fun. It was at the perfect time in my life and in what I was doing. And at the age that I was at at the time, it just worked out perfectly. And so I stayed five years. And then it was when I decided, hey, what do I want to do next? I knew it wasn't, I wasn't going to stay in the aviation field forever. Um, and I said, oh, what's kind of out there? And so Y2K was all the talk, right? Everything was supposed to shut down. We were going to be in the dark. No one was going to be able to do anything. And so you had to um, be able to engage programmers, IT professionals to help save us from the apocalypse, right? To help save us from what was going to happen once the clock st struck 12, midnight, uh, year 2000. And so I thought, hey, it's challenging to get these IT individuals on board to do this work. And so I ended up becoming a, an IT recruiter, an information technology recruiter. I knew nothing about code. I knew nothing about IT. People would ask, hey, look at my code. And I was, it looks wonderful. Um, and from that, that was kind of my entryway into HR. I had a, I had some wonderful, wonderful sponsors and mentors along the way who given me great tidbits of information. And one piece of information that I had um, from a leader was, you're, Tanja, I understand you love recruiting because I do. I love talking. I love engaging with people. I love giving folks possibilities for the next bench, adventure in their life. So I, there's everything about recruiting I absolutely love. And he said, you have to diversify your background in terms of HR. You can't just be a great recruiter because you're, you're, you're not going to have great street cred. So with that, you have to go in some other areas. And so I decided to go into employee relations, and then I went into um, generalist work, and then kind of just kept continued moving. I've always been goal-oriented, I would say, from a career perspective. I've always had my eye on the ball in terms of what's next. That's just how I'm wired. I'm super ambitious. I'm really driven. I get bored very easily. I don't do things a really long time. I come in, I make an impact, and then usually I leave that impact for someone else to continue. I leave them the footprint to continue, and then I go on to my next adventure and my next journey. Um, I also really believe that you have to have a, a vision in mind and goals in order to continue to excel in your career. What I noticed is a lot of folks stay in the same position for many, many years, and that's okay if they choose to do that, if that's their choice, they found their happiness. But a lot of times when you talk to individuals, when I coach women, I find that that's not the case. They just haven't been offered other opportunities, or they've been too afraid to go out for a new opportunity because they feel, what if I fear of failure, right? Uh, fear of the unknown. And so one of the things that I just have innate within me is just a sense of fearlessness. I just don't feel fearful. I think that really those roots come from my parents, particularly my mom. Um, she, her, her conventional thought process is if you have one opportunity, you got that one, you'll get another one. Like she's like, just, if it's not fulfilling you, if it's not bringing you joy, if you're not having an impact that you expect to have, then it's time to look for a new adventure. And you can do that. You have the liberty to do that and the freedom to do that. And so I've always kind of felt this this freedom and like I had these wings that I could just fly. And so I never felt pigeonholed held by anything or anyone. And I think that's really uh, been a great 
uh, catalyst for me, a great framework for me and how I've moved about my career. But also I work really hard too. I mean, I get things done. I have an impact. If you talk to people that know me, they'll say, I'm very nice. I'm very friendly. I believe in a little bit of levity, but at the end of the day, I produce results. Um, in terms of my academic background, I'm also a, a faculty, um, adjunct faculty at the university. Um, so I teach at the university level. Right now I'm teaching at Loyola University Chicago, which happens to be my alma mater. But I'm also on the board of directors there. And I'm also on uh, a mentor there in their program. I'm also a guest speaker when they need me. So I often give my time to causes that I feel are important to help other people move along as well. But also, you know, kind of reach back. I think that it's important for me, it's really important to keep the field of human resources live and vibrant and, and moving in a progressive way. And that's why I always kind of make some time to teach in that functional area to make sure we're bringing in new thoughts, new ideas, new technology into the field as well. I think you really need to have a platform that's uh, tolerates a little bit of everything. So I listen to some podcasts because that's an easy way for me to digest information while I'm driving or while I'm on the move. I also listen to a lot of um, eBooks um, because I think that's a great way when you're traveling to get information without having to carry heavy books, but also listen to a lot of um, books that uh, through Kindle and et cetera. So I have audio books, I read the eBooks, I do a lot of research. Um, if there's something I'm questioning or want to know more about, I do a lot of research. So McKinsey's one of my best friends, Mayo, Cleveland Clinic, like whatever my research lately has been in the healthcare area. So those have been my best friends. Um, and also just speaking, speaking to people, really figuring out their journey. How did they land where they are? What were the drivers that got them there? And what do they know today that they didn't know yesterday? What would they tell their younger selves? And what are they telling other individuals that they're coaching and mentoring as well? So I really have, I really use all the tools that are out there to continue my learning. Um, I must say, even in the technology world, right, I was completely nerding out over the new Vision Pro headset because I'm like, oh, this is new. You know, I can have my hands free and do all this different stuff. So technology Technology also plays a big, big role in um, what I do, how I digest information, what I expect of my teams. So as much as I'm organized and disciplined in terms of my vision, my strategy, my outcomes, and my goals, my world each and every day is fairly chaotic in terms of when I hear something new or a new phenomena, I like to execute. I like to move very fast. I like to be first to market. So when people constantly say, well, look at what they're doing or look at so-and-so, I like to be first in class. I like to be the best. And so I tend not to look a lot sideways and backwards. I look ahead. I think sometimes you have to because maybe they've gone through some growing pains you can avoid, right? Um, landmines that you don't have to step into. But for the most part, I like to walk to the beat of my own drummer, create my own reality and do things that are unique and individual to me. Well, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, you kind of brought me nicely onto the next thing I wanted to ask you um, because I wanted to talk about advice. Um, throughout your career, throughout your journey, you must have received advice from people along the way, and you also must share a lot of advice. So when I ask you, 
what's the best advice that you've received? And also, what's the advice you like to pass on to others? What springs to mind for you, Tanja? Some of the best advice that I've received has been a combination of individuals in the professional world, but also my mom, who really has never worked in corporate America. She was a teacher and a social worker, civil rights activist, but she's not spent a lot of time in corporate, but it's amazing the understanding she has of it, because I think she understands people and corporations are just comprised of a lot of people. So she can oftentimes give me advice and ways to think about things that I haven't even thought of. And I'm like, how could she know that she's never even worked in this environment completely? Um, so some of the best advice that I've had is to really focus on where you want to go and be as vocal as you can about that. One of the things that I realized from working with people, but also advice that I've been given is that you have to share what is in your plan, your strategy, your goals, your vision with others. Because if you don't, no one knows. So if you're working at an organization and no one knows you want to be promoted, no one knows you want to work in another area or department, no one knows that you're unhappy. No one knows what the, what you're struggling with, what the, the adversities that you might be managing and dealing with on a daily basis. Then there, no one there, they cannot help you, right? They're not equipped to help you. They don't know how to help you. So as much as you can eloquently and professionally say what you want, what you desire, have your plan mapped out, how you're going to get there, where they can intercept and in assisting, but also what's the return on investment because you have to make sure things are uh, a give and take and a win-win for all involved. You just can't be a taker. You have to be able to say this is going to give something back as well. Then I think people really respect and appreciate that. And I see a lot of folks who might not be the best um, excel over those who could be better, but they're quiet. And so as they say, the squeaky wheel <laughs> to get the oil, it's really true in all aspects of life. Um, and I think you have to understand what you bring to the table, have a lot of pride in yourself. Um, one of the things my mom always told me is if you look in the mirror and you don't recognize who you are because you've lost your dignity, you've lost pieces of your soul along the way for whatever reason, then you're not going to be happy. The one thing no one can ever take from you is your dick dignity. Never lose your dignity. Never do anything that makes anyone question your integrity. And you'll go really far in life because all you have is your reputation. I love that. I couldn't agree more. And I think that's sage advice from mom there. That's really, really good. <laughs> Thank you she should actually be on this podcast. <laughs> very, very good. I like that a lot. Um, mm -hmm. Listen, I, the other thing I want to ask you as well is, obviously, you're really busy. You've got a lot going on. Mm -hmm. But when you look forward and you plan and you think about the next six months, the next nine months, the next 12 months, or maybe longer, how do you work that sort of planning schedule for you? What's on your roadmap? What's on your horizon? What are you hoping to achieve? Right. So in the next six months, I'm working with Karen again, and we're working on sort of an anthology of a, a compilation of authors that are going to everyone submit a chapter to make a book and everyone's going to sort of tell a piece of their journey. And I believe she sort of has it titled as Roar right now. That could change. 
but each uh, woman is going to say something about their journey and their career that maybe others don't know, or they want to amplify or reamplify. And so that's my commitment over the next six months, um, as well as continuing my leadership role in, in the healthcare industry that I have, really trying to make us best in class from a diversity, equity, and inclusion perspective, and also continuing to um, uplift and empower women and coach women as much as I can, sitting on the boards that I'm a part of and being even more engaged in those. So as far as my next six months, that's what I'm really focused on. And also taking a moment in the next couple of weeks to kind of calibrate where I am now, like looking back at January through June to see where I am, and then really refocusing what I'm going to be working on over the next six months. I think it's really important to take kind of that mid-year pause to reflect on, hey, what have I done well? Where could I have done better? And then what do I want to do moving forward? Uh, I was talking to Shelly Zalas recently. She was a guest mm -hmm. on the show. Um, she's very much trying to break down these barriers, empowering women in business. And I know that's a topic that's very dear to your heart. Um, but we've got a long way to go there, haven't we? Yes, yes, we do. And, you know, I, I read a lot about some of the women that are successful in business, whether it's Rosalind Brewer or Janice Bryant or Ursula Banks. And I really take heed to a lot of what they say in terms of how women can continue to excel. And uh, one of the things around women excelling to CEO positions, because that's been a huge issue um, here in the States, particularly with Fortune 500 organizations, is oftentimes women are relegated to more support-based roles. So when you think of human resources or marketing, public relations, um, those type of roles generally do not ascend your, your professional career does not ascend to a CEO position in those roles because A, you although you, you mitigate risk and cost for an organization, absolutely, they're definitely value added. It's not where you really have your footprint on how the organization operates and makes money. And so when you think of a CEO, their whole the embodiment of their work is around building shareholder value and keeping the company afloat through innovation, but also through financial financial models and et cetera. And so because women tend to be more in support-based roles and until that starts to shift, and I'll even add myself in that mix, um, there will be this deficit of women in CEO positions. For me personally, I will say I had a great sponsor that told me this many, many years ago and was offering me an opportunity to transition to more of an operational type role. And at the time I allowed my fear even to block me from that opportunity because I said, what if I go over there and it really doesn't work out and I completely don't know what I'm doing. I do know what I'm doing over here and I can continue to be successful. And so I even chose not to take that route. And I think also when you're dealing in, a, in the field that I'm in, in terms of coaching and guiding and leading, you have to have women in, the, in this business that are authentic and honest and can say, these are some of the mistakes I made or these are some of the choices that I made that if I had to do it again, I would make other choices because then that's how you really authentically guide and help others as well. It's showing your vulnerabilities and where you could have done better and where you um, maybe thought about things through not a, a 
a multi-lens, but kind of through a singular lens and what you would do differently. And so I'm always very open about where I could have done things differently or better, but also where I'm excelling and doing great. And I think all of our lives are comprised of both. But I think now just with the rise of social media and the clout chasing, you tend to only see one side of people. And that's the side they want to show you, which tends to be the positive, successful, gregarious, you know, door kicking, busting down type people. Although that's not their full story. I think that's such an such an important point, and th thank you for sharing that. Um, before we run out of time, I want to ask you about any other topics that maybe I haven't raised that you want to double down on, or you want to share with us. Uh, well, we have our audience here today, and secondly, and really importantly, if people want to reach out and connect with you, where's the best place to send people to? Yes, I sort of, I want to leave folks with some words around philanthropy. I think as much as individuals are successful, they, they have to give back because giving back only catapults you, in my opinion, to more success because you feel better about yourself. There's a resurgence of energy internally. So I make sure I'm part of organizations where I mentor, where I give back, whether it's financial gifts or gift of my time and advice and just a shoulder to lean on. Um, I'm a mentor in Emmerman's Angels. I'm you know, I'm a leads board member with uh, helping young women kind of send and assemble themselves early in their journey and their educational journey. I sit on the board at my university at Quinlan School of Business because I think all of these things are important. You have to be able to give back, but you also have to be able to have some time for yourself and self-care. I think it's important to be able to balance all these different areas you know, your life is sort of this trifecta of your professional, your personal, and then what you're giving out to the world and the universe. And you have to make sure in the middle of all that, the nucleus is you, right? The nucleus is being able to take care of yourself and that's self-care. So sometimes you have to pull back from things. Sometimes you have to say no to even a commitment that you made because you're not in the right mental space. It's not, you, it's not feeling right in your gut. You need to take that time for yourself. So that's some advice that I can give is as much as you give back, you also have to make sure that you are reflecting and, and pouring into yourself as well. Fantastic. Um, and you, you're right. I mean, just the term knowledge philanthropy uh, resonates with me because for years I've, you know, I you sort of give money and you maybe give time and help with certain projects. But I was having a long discussion on only uh, earlier this year about knowledge philanthropy and I think you reach a point in your career or your your sort of uh, experience where you start to realize sharing that knowledge is so important I'm not saying giving money isn't important I'm certainly I'm certainly a big advocate of that uh, and time to help out with certain organizations but considering what you're saying as well being able to share that knowledge and being able to help somebody on their journey it's so important isn't it in in today's world Absolutely. And if you reflect back, if every single person that's successful, if they reflect back when you interview them, um, they will all say people that helped them along the way, that gave them sage advice, that gave them a different perspective or way of thinking about something or encouragement. We've all had it, right? Someone's poured into all of us, every single one of us. And so it's incumbent upon us and it's our responsibility and our duty to give back as well. And so uh, for those individuals who want to reach me, um, 
they can reach out to me on my website, which is www.reimagineod.org. Um, also, my book, Three Second World, is thanks to Karen, is available on Amazon, on Barnes and Noble and Walmart. So whatever venue is, is your liking, you can choose to purchase from there. This multi-channel distribution that she set up for me, which I'm so grateful for. But I'm really excited about just where the world is going. I know there's a lot of people who aren't as optimistic, but my thought is you can only be as optimistic, right? We can only hope and pray and wish for the best and also be stewards of making sure that that's the realization that happens, right? We are the captains in making sure that some of these things happen. So as much as people sit back in doom and gloom, it's up to every single one of us to make sure that's not the reality. I love that. And it's a nice place to end today's discussion on. Uh, I look forward to our next discussion with our Vision Pro headsets on. Tanya, Absolutely. To that. With the um, little cap. <laughs> exactly. But look, thanks to everybody around the world who's been watching or listening to this episode. Uh, make sure that you like, follow, subscribe, do everything I need you to do to help support this podcast. Go and check out the website for Tanja. Obviously, check out her new book and with another one in the works by the sound of things. So we, we eagerly await that too. Um, and look, I hope you'll join me back here for some more conversations with creatives, leaders and thinkers. But thank you so much, Tanja. It's been such a pleasure to catch up with you today and continued success, my friend. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me today. 